Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you. Big day today. The Farm Bill will be signed this afternoon, it looks like. Also, USDA has a plan to make some changes to the SNAP program so the president can claim a victory for things uh, for he wanted in that uh, SNAP program revisions that did not happen in the Farm Bill, so they're going to go through a USDA uh, procedure to do that. We'll find out about all of that later in the program. We'll talk with Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. China back in the soybean market. We'll talk with Paul Drazik, managing partner with DTB Associates, uh, about uh, some of the trade news here at the end of the year. Also, in keeping with the uh, holiday season, the National Milk Producers Federation has put out a naughty and nice list. We'll talk with Alan Bjurga with the National Milk Producers Federation a little bit later on. But right now we're going to start it off with a look at a study that is out now that shows the value to corn growers through exports of red meat. This is actually an updated study by World Perspectives Incorporated. Joining us now is Dave Juday, Senior Analyst for World Perspectives, a leading agricultural consulting firm. Dave, thanks for joining us. And let's start there. You've, you've updated a study from a couple years ago, right? Uh, yep. Thanks for having me, Mike. Um, that we did uh, back in 2016, early part of 2016, the U.S. Meat Export Federation asked us to calculate the impact of red meat exports on corn um, for the 2015 year. Of course, that wasn't the greatest year for meat exports because of the strong dollar and high prices and other factors, uh, but uh after you know being on a record pace for this year uh we've updated and what does it show what is the value to corn growers of uh exports of red meat well uh the overall it's about uh 1.9 billion dollars um where our estimate is that it's an additional 450 million bushels uh, from when we looked at it, uh, 2015 over a 10 period. Uh, but that breaks down just this year. Uh, <clears throat> beef and pork exports, uh, will use about 460 million bushels of corn and we'll use about 2 million tons of DDGs. Um, and that's the equivalent of about, uh, 3.4 million acres of corn that's going to be exported through beef and pork. You know, we often talk about uh, for for corn growers, you know, your best customer is uh, the livestock producer, and this bears that out. It sure does. But, uh, you know, the other interesting thing here is the impact that it's having on DEG. Um, an ethanol mill, 23% of their gross margin comes from being able to sell uh, DDGs for livestock feed and beef and pork exports probably by our calculations support about three cents a gallon. Uh, okay, Dave, I think you're cutting out on us a little bit here, so hopefully we can get a little stronger connection. But again, we're talking with Dave Juday, Senior Market 
uh, analyst for World Perspectives, a leading agricultural consulting firm, and their latest uh, study shows that 11% of the price of corn this year will be derived from beef and pork exports, and red meat exports impact on corn prices equal about 39 cents per bushel. That's based on an annual average price of $3.53 per bushel. So, Dave, um, in a year where there's been so much talk and so much focus on exports and trade and the trade problems, it's still, as we've talked about with U.S. Meat Export Federation, it's still been a strong year for U.S. meat exports. And while the corn price is not where corn growers would like to see it, certainly it would be a lot worse without these red meat exports. Absolutely. Um, you know, exports do two things. They obviously move extra volume, but they also add value. Uh, when we can sell cuts and offal and other, you know, products that are undervalued in the U.S., we bring value to the, the head of uh, uh, a slaughtered hog or, or the fed slaughter cattle um, in this year, it's about 54 bucks is the average per head for a hog and about $317 per head uh, for a uh, fed steer or heifer. Um, that impacts the bottom line of what uh, a feeder can pay for corn. Uh, without exports, uh, uh, producing a barrel of gilt would, would lose about $8.30 and you would lose about 43 cents on a steer or heifer. So that definitely affects the corn price. And sometimes we kind of overlook that connection uh, with the livestock industry and with meat exports, uh, but we need to focus on that and why it is why it is so important. And, and in this coming year, we'll be looking at that very closely uh, and struggling with the low commodity prices uh, and the challenges with exports. Uh, hopefully we'll see a, a, a positive move for both in 2019. Yeah, hopefully we will. And, uh, but we're, we're certainly uh, very reliant on, on exports. Um, just, you know, as I mentioned before, the value difference. Pork has faced tariffs in Mexico and China, two important markets. And despite that, overall exports are up about 1% in volume. They're also up about 1% in value. But compare that to the beef sector, exports are, you know, shattering records, and they're up 9% in volume. Uh, but because we can sell undervalued cuts, they're up about 17% in value. And that's been the real, uh, the real impact of the tariffs on pork, the Mexico tariffs on ham, China tariffs, that, and China's our biggest market for variety so that shows you how the the, the ripple effect of uh, uh, of the value that uh, filters down to the corn grower yeah the the beef export story this year has been uh, uh, remarkable especially given the trade issues around the world absolutely and the shining star this past year has been korea which is an area where the commodity groups in the u.s uh, the U.S. Meat Export Federation, the corn grower group, uh, have have invested a lot of time and effort, and they've paid off. Real quick, Dave, uh, these numbers in their latest study, how much up are they from the when you did the study two years ago? Oh, uh, they're they're all up 
pretty substantially um, in terms of comparing uh, 2015 when we first did the study to 2018 this year. Uh, the use of, of corn is up uh, about 29%. The value of corn is up about 25%. Of course, you know, we had a little tighter corn market uh, you know, back in 2015. Uh, the use of DDGs is up 35%, and the value is up 42%. Um, and that's about uh, 27% more acres of corn that's being uh exported through beef and pork uh, compared to 2015. Significant numbers indeed. Dave Jude, Senior Analyst for World Perspectives. Thanks for joining us, Dave. Thank you for having me, Mike. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. I can't believe he found them. He seems sorry. We very clearly told him not to look up there. I'm honestly impressed that he was able to do it. Right? What did he balance on that big chair? Yeah, I mean, I guess he'll just know what his gifts are this year. I really thought we had hidden them well. If they can find their presence, they can find a gun. 911, what is your emergency? Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and N Family Fire. Sometimes life is wonderful. And sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 664-2612. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant, and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no... For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. 
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, welcome back. It is the season for making lists. We have those naughty and nice lists. The dairy industry has put out one. The National Milk Producers Federation has its version of uh, the naughty or nice list. And here to share it with us is Alan Burga. He's Senior Vice President of Communications for the National Milk Producers Federation. Alan, thanks for joining us. Well, uh, tell us about uh, your your list, your naughty or nice list. Now, this is based on uh, those uh, good and bad actors when it comes to labeling of dairy products, right? Yeah, if you've been following, um, and I know you've, we've discussed this on your program, Mike, uh, the issue right now before the FDA on whether it's going to be enforcing its own rules as far as what can and cannot be called a milk. You know, the FDA has for decades had rules saying that uh, milk is the product of a lactating animal, um, and you have a lot of products coming onto the market that are ignoring that definition, which the FDA has not been enforcing. Um, we're in the midst of a drive right now. There's a comment period that ends on January 28th to try to get the FDA to enforce its own rules. And in the spirit of that and in the spirit of the season, we came up with a naughty or nice list, taking a look at grocery store aisles and seeing what FDA's rules and which ones are not. Okay, let's take a look then at the, uh, the naughty list. Yeah, and, and it's also important to note that, you know, as we go through this campaign, we're not trying to cast aspersion on, you know, people who grow almonds or people who grow soybeans or, or people who are looking for a market for their products. I mean, these are all commodities that we work with on a lot of issues. What we're really trying to do here is just point out that there are differences between the products, and, and nobody should be taking the good name of dairy that dairy producers have built over generations and start misappropriating it for some products that, you know, sometimes they're just basically flavored water with some vitamins thrown in. So we take a look at some of the companies where, where you see phrases like almond milk rather than beverage um, put out. And, and some of the biggest offenders would be, you know, Almond Breeze. Um, you'll see it. It's the best-selling almond beverage brand, and it, it prominently has the word milk on its package. Um, there's also, they're now expanding in the U.S., it's the Swedish oat beverage, Oatly. Um, they literally have two different packages. If you go over the border into Canada, um, that won't have the word milk on it. Um, but when you go into the U.S., suddenly you have to have the word. Their argument is that American consumers um, need this word to know what the product is. Apparently, they think more highly of Canadians. I mean, I'll just <laughs> leave that there. Walmart's brand um, also includes um, dairy product labeling on non-dairy packages, and you see the same thing with Target. Um, it's simply Balance Line does that. Um, Muscle Milk um, has one of the most recognizable labels of all the dairy imitators. Um, it has a lot of ingredients in it, um, a lot of industrial processes, but no milk. And then also note um, a smaller company, So Delicious, um, they make a coconut product, um, but coconuts indeed cannot lactate, and that's what put them on our list. So again, you're not putting down the products or their right to market those products. You're just saying they should not be using or misleading consumers by using the words milk or dairy when they're really not milk or dairy products. Yeah, and this is a very important point to make because when you see a lot of criticism of this drive, you know, from folks in the plant-based foods industry, from, you know, the vegan community, people who have an axe to grind on dairy products, you'll see sort of some mischaracterization of what we're trying to do. You know, this isn't about market share versus these products. This isn't about, you know, dairy trying to get tell people that they shouldn't drink these beverages. What we're, what we're really calling for is a level playing field. When people go to the grocery aisle, they're looking at products 
products, and people are in a hurry. They're not necessarily looking at the nutrition facts label, et cetera. But if you see the word milk on a product, and, and we have data to back this up, um, a, a majority of consumers you know, are thinking that if there's a milk on a product, it must have some sort of similar nutritional profile. Well, that can get dangerous for your kids if you're feeding them an almond beverage, thinking it's going to give them the same amount of protein in milk, when in fact, a cup of almond breeze has one-eighth as much protein. I mean, this is a nutritional difference, and, and when you are putting that different of a product with a milk label on it, that is misleading consumers, and that's why the FDA needs to act. We're talking with Alan Bjurga with the National Milk Producers Federation. Well, there are those uh, companies that have products out there uh, that are doing it the right way when it comes to labeling and not uh, using or misusing the name dairy or, or, or milk on their products. There are, and, you know, that sort of uh, belies the argument that you'll hear from Oatly and other companies that somehow if they drop the word milk, they're not going to be able to sell these products in the U.S. There are plenty of companies that are playing by the rules. We, of course, would love consumers to patronize those companies and those brands instead, and, and there are some good examples. Um, Trader Joe's, for example, they have a variety of plant-based beverages, and they have accurate labels on them. Quaker Oats um, is coming out with a new oat-based product. They call it a beverage, you know. Great for the oat farmers to be working to find a market for their product. They're playing by the rules. Um, Pacific, uh, there's another brand um, that, that also labels beverage. And then Costco. Um, when you see people coming out of a Costco with all of their grocery char- carts and such, if they're buying a plant-based beverage and it's the Kirkland brand, um, they do also do not use the term milk to describe their beverages. So there are folks out there in the marketplace who are doing the right thing. They're showing that you can continue to compete in this marketplace. And again, you know, the National Milk Producers Federation doesn't have a problem with competition in the marketplace. We're looking for fair competition, and what we're trying to do sort of in the holiday spirit is point out who's playing by the rules and who is not. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a good point, and it shows that you're not just trying to eliminate competition in the marketplace. You're just asking for a fair and balanced uh, playing field as far as uh, the information that's being put out there to consumers about these products. You know, American agriculture is built on successful competition, and and when you are the dairy industry and you take a look, you know, the largest dairy producing state is California. Well, what's the number one almond producing state? It's California. You do have producers who are doing both. This isn't a fight against other parts of agriculture or against other or against any other commodity farmer because gosh knows farmers all need to stick together. What it is, it's a call for the FDA to enforce its own rules so that labels continue to have their integrity, so that dairy farmers who have worked very hard to build you know, consumer confidence that this is a nutritious product that will help themselves and their families, you know, that that is respected. Um, and, and if folks want to come up with some other type of flavored water with emulsifiers and vitamin additives and calcium, whatever, if a consumer chooses to buy that, well, that is their choice. But we want to make sure that, that the consumer is not misled, that they make an accurate and informed choice. And that's what's behind our petition drive. If you want to take a look at our comments, um, how to file a comment before the FDA, uh, which has its deadline January 28th, you can go to the National Milk Producers Federation site at www.nmpf.org. It has everything you need to write something to the FDA telling them to enforce this rule. And uh, that would be a great gift for American dairy farmers. I hope everybody considers it. And now and again, to your point of consumers being misled, you've done some survey work on this to to show, and the percentages are very high, showing that consumers believe one thing, but they're getting another. Well, 
for example, um, you know, we did a survey. Uh, well, Dairy Management Incorporated did a survey last August um, using Ipsos, which is a very re- well-respected polling firm. Um, this was a legitimate above-board fo- poll. We're completely transparent about it. It found that 73% of consumers believed that almond-based drinks had as much or more protein per serving than milk. Again, milk has eight times as much protein. So there are three out of four consumers who just flat out have the wrong idea. Um, 53% um, said they believe that plant-based food manufacturers label their products as milk because the nutritional value is similar. That's simply not the case. Um, It has shown that there are misperceptions in the marketplace. You know, I'm not saying that taking the word milk off the label automatically solves all issues of consumer information, but it helps. Um, it, It also keeps the integrity of the FDA as an agency that informs its own rules. Um, it's definitely going to help some consumers, and it just—it also puts us in line with all of the other countries, basically on Earth, that don't allow this type of mislabeling to continue. If you look at the European Union, if you look at Canada, if you look at other places that that govern the labeling of their products. In those countries, it is almond beverage, it is soy beverage, it is coconut beverage, it is rice beverage. They all seem to, to continue to sell in the marketplace. And we're just asking the U.S. to follow the same standards, standards that are already on its books. Well, as you point out, there are companies out there doing it right. They're on the nice list, uh, but uh, we wanted to point out those that are not doing it right, that are, are trying to take advantage of the of the reputation and the name milk and dairy that dairy producers have built over the years. And that's what we do. We represent dairy producers. But this is a bigger fight than just dairy producers. You know, I, this is also something that the health community cares about. Folks who have, you know, if you know your local pediatrician and you want to raise awareness on this issue, you know, this is something else to let them know about. You know, the School Nutrition Association has submitted comments to the FDA that, that are very helpful for our cause, and we appreciate those efforts. We've had seen school kids writing to the FDA saying that we would like clarity in labeling. It's, it's about defending dairy, but it's not just about dairy. It's about the integrity of labeling, um, fair competition in the U.S. marketplace. It's also about, you know, simply helping people out. Um, and, and that's a good thing to be doing in the holiday season. Alan Bjerga, Senior Vice President of Communications for the National Milk Producers Federation with the uh, and dairy industry's naughty or nice list. Thanks, Alan. Appreciate it. Happy holidays. Thank you. Stay with us. More to come here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Over the holiday season, you know, there are so many pleas out there for assistance from one organization or another. All of them do good work. We're asking you not to forget us. Every child deserves a little Christmas. Every year since 1947, the U.S. Marine Corps Reserve Toys for Tots program has been out there collecting toys for millions of deserving children, children who otherwise would go without at this most joyous time of year. The Toys for Tots website is the starting point to find one of our campaign sites. It's toysfortots.org. That's really simple. Toysfortots.org. All one word. Toysfortots.org. There you'll be able to find out how to donate directly to a local campaign or register for assistance. Toysfortots.org. All you need to remember, toysfortots.org. Delivering hope since 1947. 
Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. Corn and soybean futures a bit lower after a firm overnight session. Wheat futures have trended on either side of steady money. Some volatility expected on the trading day as we approach the holidays next week and volume dies down a bit. Export sales for wheat falling short of analyst predictions, according to the Wire Talk, just over 313,000 tons, down 58% from last week, 42% from the prior four-week average. In the wheat futures, an hour into the trading day, we're not more than a penny away from steady in Chicago, Kansas City, but Minneapolis spring wheat is trending three to four cents higher. USDA announced Wednesday that China purchased another nearly 1.2 million metric tons of soybeans, totaling over 2.7 million since December 13th. On the futures board yesterday, January soybeans seeing resistance around 9.12 and a quarter. Chart action said to be heavy. The market vulnerable on the downside. January an hour in at 8.94 and three quarters down five and a half. In corn, we are trending below gap support from 3.78 to 3.80 on this Thursday. March at 3.77 and a half down four and a half cents. For livestock in the American live cattle futures trending 15 to 45 cents lower. Feeder cattle are a nickel to a dime higher. Cattle on feed report coming out from USDA on Thursday. Average trade guess on feed as of December 1st, 1.8% higher than a year ago. Lean hog futures trending 55 to 65 cents lower. USDA's quarterly hogs and pigs report comes out on this Thursday. On Wall Street, the Dow down 183 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, let's talk trade. China back in the soybean market and uh, hope for 2019. We're going to talk now with Paul Drazik, managing partner of DTB Associates. Paul, former special assistant to the Secretary of Agriculture for International Affairs, longtime trade policy and marketing specialist. All right, Paul, thanks for joining us. Your thoughts on these uh, end-of-the-year purchases uh, by uh, China of, of U.S. soybeans? Well, thanks, Mike. Uh, obviously, this, this is good. Uh, it's a good sign. Uh, it shows that uh, the Chinese are uh, trying to uh, uh, ease the pressures on them somehow. Um, it's still, uh, we still have a long way to go on this, obviously, and there's still a lot of doubts about what's going to happen in the next, well, 
less than 90 days now, I guess 70 days or thereabouts. Um, the purchases that China made of soybeans, they, uh, originally we had heard they were going to be buying substantial quantities of agricultural products, and so far it's only been soybeans. Uh, and it's only been purchases by government entities rather than uh, take, ha, China having taken any action on the tariffs, so the tariffs are still in place, all of which means to me that uh, whatever China's doing, they could continue to do or they could stop doing it at a heartbeat. So we'll just have to wait and see. Now, we're seeing some headlines saying that China's uh, uh, saying now that there'll be more trade talks in January with the U.S. So at least it seems like for now there's the, the an open dialogue at least going on here. We'll see what it leads to, but at least they're talking. Absolutely. And uh, for the first time in quite a while, uh, it sounds like uh, they're, they're, they're uh, accurate uh, reports that uh, in the past we've heard that uh, there have been uh, dialogues going on and uh, there are talks coming up and they never happen. And, and frankly, from our contacts within the administration, a lot of those have been frankly kind of bogus. Uh, they, they were never really any t- serious talks going on, but now... Uh, the, the talks that are scheduled for sometime in January seem to be uh, uh, some information that's coming from both sides, which is uh, a positive sign. Let's look between the lines or behind the curtain a little bit. Is this a, a really a, an effort by China to get to a, a long-term deal, or is it just some immediate need that they're facing now that they just got to have something to get by for the time being? Well, I, you know, I don't know that anybody knows. Uh, there's a lot of speculation about that very point. Uh, how serious is this? Is this uh, just something that uh, is designed to uh, keep talks going as opposed to uh, uh, further tariffs, uh, you know, additional tariffs on the part of the U.S.? Uh, so I don't think uh, we really know what's in the minds of the Chinese. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not in the business of making predictions about things, but I could speculate that uh, uh, China could just be uh, playing a a little game here, sort of like North Korea seems to do, where, you know, they they offer a little bit and and hope that's enough. And sooner or later, maybe something will change and uh, the tariffs will go away and they won't really have to do anything to uh, placate the United States. Uh, Unless something dramatic happens, uh, I, I think that's not going to happen. I think the president is uh, uh, determined to proceed with additional tariffs on products from China if he doesn't get what he wants from them. Uh, unfortunately, I think uh, some of the things some of the things the U.S. has been asking China to do uh, will be very, very difficult for them to do. But it would seem these sales strengthen President Trump's position, doesn't it, that, uh, hey, the tariffs are working, uh, and he, he says he's a tariff guy. He thinks they're the way to go about getting the, the changes that he wants. It would That would seem to strengthen his argument, wouldn't it? Uh, I, 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 I think you're right. He probably believes that, um, but I'm not sure that I believe it. I think uh, if, if we were going back to status quo ante before the tariffs were in place uh, now, then, then I would say, okay, it may be an improvement uh, over where we were before, but we've lost market share in China that I don't know that we'll ever get back in, in soybeans and other products. 
no matter what happens. So uh, I don't see the purchases, uh, you know, while it's a good sign uh, that talks are going on and China's doing this, uh, it will help prices, I'm sure. Uh, but I, I still believe that Brazil has been benefited more than anybody and probably will for the foreseeable future because of this. Yeah, the other side of the argument, from China's side, you could see the argument where they're saying, hey, we'll, we'll just buy a little bit here and there, just enough to kind of keep this going without really addressing the, the core issues of uh, whether it's intellectual properties or whatever it may be that kind of started all this to begin with. That's not getting resolved, but yet we'll kind of keep everybody's hopes up uh, in the U.S. by buying a little bit here, a little bit there. Exactly. That could very well be what's going on. They, they will do this, see what happens, wait and see uh, what the reaction is. Uh, uh, to some extent, it, it seems to me it's a bit of a mistake to promote this as a, a major accomplishment, because then that will feed to the Chinese the notion that, uh, hey, it's working. You know, all we have to do is a little sale here and there, and uh, uh, folks in the United States will think it's a big deal, and, and we won't have to do much more. Yeah, it's amazing how this can be, you know, the spin on these things and uh, who gains an advantage. Uh, I mean, there's a lot at work here, a lot at play. Uh, we're talking with a longtime uh, trade policy and marketing specialist, Paul Drasick, managing partner, DTB Associates. Uh, Paul, we still really don't quite know the impact, do we, of African swine fever in China? I mean, is, is this going to still be a big story moving into 2019? It could well be. I mean, this is a serious matter, and uh, if they don't get control of it, uh, uh, clearly uh, pork is uh, the the most consumed uh, by far uh, meat product in China. And, uh, you know, the government is going to want to do what it can to uh, make sure that there are adequate supplies. And and that means that if... uh, if domestic domestic production is going down, they're going to have to find sources elsewhere. So that 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 could have an impact uh, uh, on China's uh, ability to maintain the tariffs on pork uh, coming in from the United States, unless they think they can uh, make up the difference by importing from other suppliers. And, and I, I have my doubts about that. So we'll be watching that, and then of course a big story in 2019 will be the vote on USMCA and, of course, the threat by the president to pull us out of NAFTA if Congress doesn't pass the New Deal. Um, how do you see that battle shaping up in 2019? I think it's going to be a big battle. Um, I know that most of American agriculture is supportive of the agreement. Uh, it didn't do that much for agriculture. It uh, nibbled around the ing- edges in a positive way, doing a little bit for dairy uh, and, and uh, some regulatory issues for wheat in, in Canada. But quite frankly, it's hard to improve on NAFTA for agriculture because it was such a good deal for us uh, uh, for the most part. Uh, and basically all tariffs were eliminated on trade with Mexico. And that's, that once they're zero, it's kind of hard to make it better than that. <laughs> but the problem, of course, is that uh, we still have the steel and aluminum uh, tariffs in place and therefore the retaliation in place by Mexico and Canada against our products and uh, the sectors, several, a lot of sectors involved in that, but uh, clearly pork and dairy were probably the most uh, adversely affected by the tariffs in, in Mexico. So it's going to be interesting. I, I think a lot of people have said we'll, in agriculture, we'll support uh, and uh, we, we do support and we'll support Congress approving 
the NAFTA 2.0, but if we're still facing uh, retaliation by Mexico and Canada, it's gonna, we may be sitting on the sidelines rather than supporting it. And, of course, the labor unions are already saying it doesn't go far enough, so that means a lot of Democrats are saying the same thing uh, with respect to labor rules. Um, and, and the business community is generally positive, but uh, also very wary about steel and aluminum. I thought it was interesting. We've seen some already some comments coming from Mexico addressing some of those uh, issues that Democrats and labor unions have been have been raising in this country. That's true. They've uh, they've they're uh, on in the process. Uh, maybe they've done it already. Uh, just in the last day or so, I, I haven't paid attention. But uh, raising their minimum wage rates, uh, which was uh, something that uh, industry uh, uh, labor sector here in the United States was uh, uh, very vocal about needing to have happen. So that's a, that's a good sign on the part of Mexico. Uh, of course, they have a new government, which is uh, a, a more liberal government and, and more inclined to do that anyway. It's possible they would have without uh, the, the desire to get NAFTA 2.0 approved in the United States. Meanwhile, as we've talked about this before, I mean, there's there's always hope that something will get worked out with the European Union, but that looks like a, a heavy, heavy lift to think we're going to get something major, uh, major breakthrough there, given the long history and all the baggage we have with them, especially when it comes to ag trade. Yeah, as long as the U.S. keeps, uh, as long as either side, both sides, uh, think in terms of a comprehensive free trade agreement, uh, then agriculture has to be included, um, and, and otherwise it, it's, it's just not going to fly. Um, but if what either side or maybe both sides are thinking is uh, more of a, a reciprocal buy-sell type of thing where, where uh, Europeans agree to, to buy or reduce tariffs on a certain sector or two or maybe just in manufactured products uh, with some exceptions, that's not a comprehensive deal. And uh, that's something that I think uh, the, our administration needs to recognize, that if the Europeans uh, refuse to include agriculture, which is what they're saying, uh, I think that the possibility of getting a final deal through Congress becomes remote. Longtime trade policy and marketing specialist, now managing partner of DTB Associates, Paul Drazik. Paul, always good to talk with you. Thank you for being with us. Great. Thank you, Mike. My pleasure. All right. Stay with us. More coming up here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable Bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information, and then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 
1-800-318-7903. Call now. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Over the holiday season, you know there are so many pleas out there for assistance from one organization or another. All of them do good work. We're asking you not to forget us. Every child deserves a little Christmas. Every year since 1947, the U.S. Marine Corps Reserve Toys for Tots program has been out there collecting toys for millions of deserving children, children who otherwise would go without at this most joyous time of year. The Toys for Tots website is the starting point to find one of our campaign sites. It's toysfortots.org. That's really simple. Toysfortots.org. All one word. Toysfortots.org. There you'll be able to find out how to donate directly to a local campaign or register for assistance. Toysfortots.org. All you need to remember, toysfortots.org delivering hope since 1947. Did you hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Use the Alexa.
podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Okay, we need a Washington update because there's a lot going on. Farm bill signing, um, SNAP revisions, and uh, government funding. Let's bring in Phil Brasher from AgriPulse Communications. Phil, thanks for being with us. First of all, farm bill. Yeah. This This afternoon, right? It gets signed? Yeah, yeah. Things are changing so quickly with everything around here in the nation's capital. But that seems to be one thing that's on. Yes, yeah, 2.30 here Eastern time. Yes, the president is supposed to sign the bill. I'll have with some lawmakers, um, members of uh, farm groups uh, who will be there with it to uh, watch on. Okay, so that's this afternoon. Now, we know the president and many Republicans did not get the uh, SNAP revisions that they wanted in the farm bill but we heard that there was a way they could go about it through usda and it sounds like that's the plan now right tell us about that that that's exactly what they did at five o'clock this morning um they announced uh this uh it's it's a proposed rule stage but it's uh, quite a dramatic change uh goes back to the 1996 welfare reform it uh acted to created this process for states to get waivers for the work requirements for uh, food stamp recipients, and that's now called SNAP, of course, the program. Um, but it left it to the Clinton administration to write the rules for those waivers. Those have stood ever since then. Uh, what uh, the administration announced today would dramatically uh, tighten up uh, those uh, rules by which uh, states and uh, localities can get uh, waivers from the work requirements. Which allows the president then to claim a victory on this. Uh, that's the way it works. You have to, in politics, you that's have to right. find your wins, right? And, and this is how they did it and still got the farm bill done without the changes there, able to go about it this way. Yeah, they would have liked to have seen, had these changes written into law because uh they couldn't really be challenged in the court. These can be challenged in court and uh, are widely expected uh, to be because it would uh, basically reduce the uh, area that's uh, now subject to waivers by 75%, say $15 billion over 10 years. That makes a big difference uh, in uh, who qualifies and uh, well, who will have to, to work to meet the requirements. And uh, so, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a big deal. It's a big change. I need to start writing these down. I just realized, you know, this is the season of lists. Well, the list is getting pretty long of the number of issues we're saying, expect this to be uh, sent to the courts or, or decided in the courts. I mean, there are a lot, of, yeah. a lot of issues getting pushed to the courts here all of a sudden. Well, the waters of the U.S. rule, uh, yeah, that's another one. That, that, I can guarantee you, will be in the courts. And, of course, the biofuels issues are, are going to the courts and just a number of things. So uh, we'll watch all that. Now, also, we've got this um, stopgap measure that the Senate has passed, the House expected to pass, uh, for government funding. Uh, what? That's a seven-week uh, stopgap measure. 
but it does not look like it includes the tax extenders that the biofuels industry and others uh, were hoping would be in there. Are they just left out in the cold again on this one? Yeah, for a while, it's, uh, at least. It's, it was a bit of a Hail Mary trying to, uh, trying to pass this at the end. Uh, these uh, tax, The big one that we're talking about, uh, really critical to the Midwest, is the dollar-a-gallon tax credit that subsidizes biodiesel. The end of, uh, there was a plan that they came up on the House side to extend this and then phase it out uh, over a period of years. Uh, it was a Chuck Grassley, who's going to be the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, obviously a, from Iowa, obviously a big supporter of biodiesel. He supported this. Uh, doesn't look like it's going to get through. So this will uh, still be on the table going into uh, next year. But um, obviously the biodiesel industry has a very important new ally uh or an ally in an important new position, and that's the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, which writes tax law, and that's Chuck Grassley, and he uh, pledges that, uh, and I'm sure he will carry forward with this, and it will be a higher priority for him. So disappointing for the biofuels industry, the biodiesel industry in particular, that this is not getting done, it doesn't look like this year, but as you said, with uh, Senator Grassley in that position, there's still hope that it will eventually get done. I'm certainly, uh, he's going to do everything in his power to get it done. Of course, uh, the Democrats who will be in charge of the House may have some different ideas about uh, priorities on tax uh, tax structure, and this, this generally gets caught up in uh, uh, desire to do other tax law changes. It's, uh, it becomes a negotiating leverage. So hard to tell exactly what the path forward is, but uh, we have not seen the last of it. I can yeah, but it does feel like that. feels like a real missed opportunity here. Uh, that I know the biodiesel industry was really hoping to be able to get this through here this year, but it looks like it's going to have to wait a while longer yet. Meanwhile, I'm sure the the mood among members of Congress is they're anxious to get home for Christmas, right? Yeah, they are. Uh, the jet fumes are. <laughs> Uh, you can smell them from uh, from from Capitol Hill, from uh, Reagan Airport. Uh, yeah, they definitely want to get out of here. It's uh, there's still some a little bit of uh, unfinished business for some of them. Uh, uh, farmers down in the southeast were, were really hoping to get uh, a new round of disaster aid for the damage uh, from the hurricane uh, hurricanes um, this year. Uh, that was a high priority that may get kicked into February as well. Um, and we haven't mentioned one other thing that popped today, and that's the uh, final rule for uh, uh, food companies to disclose uh, mm-hmm. bioengineered or uh, GMO ingredients. Um, USDA just released that uh, this morning as well in the midst of everything else. So a lot going on, but uh, I tell you what, if you want to see a member of Congress Right now, the best place to be either today or tomorrow, just camp out at Reagan National Airport. You'll see a lot of them going <laughs> right. through there, right? Yeah, because right. they're headed home. All right. Yeah. all right, Phil, as always, thanks for keeping us up to date on all this. We appreciate it. Okay, all right. Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. So Farm Bill scheduled to be signed this afternoon. Does not look like the biodiesel tax incentive is going to be uh, done this year. 
Hopefully they can get it done next year, but it's going to be even tougher probably. So a lot of things going on, in the and the biotech rules that uh, Bill mentioned as well, we'll get you updated on that tomorrow. Hey, thanks for being with us. Lots going on. Happy holidays to all of you. Thanks for joining us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.